Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana, and we're here for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. My guest today is Isaiah Lee, who I've just met for the first time today, but we've been visiting and catching up off camera, so I'm really excited to kind of get into the world of Isaiah. Awesome, thanks for having me. Absolutely, thanks for being here, really appreciate it. All right, Isaiah, so in June of this year, you bought 513 to 519 Milam Street, the former Rubenstein's department store, for $50,000 and announced a major project to transform the space into the Rubenstein and Landlord Historical Apartments. Mm -hmm. Tell me what we will eventually find a couple of years from now when we enter these buildings. Okay, so our dream is this. That particular block that it sits on right across from the courthouse is essentially our town square to our city. Uh, and it's a shame that there's so many abandoned buildings around, around that area. So where best place to start and really put your biggest investment is right on the town square. So many people have invested outside of our city and out on the city limits and out, you know, we want to bring it back and put it right there. So. We want to incorporate all the historical things that are in there, some really unique features that we're going to keep and be able to preserve. We're also going to make it feel extremely modern at the same time. Uh, we plan on putting coffee shops, hair salons, um, maybe an ice cream parlor type, like soda jerk type thing. Uh, there'll be a conference room that can house about 75 people for small venues like weddings or concerts or some those types of things. There'll be a small amount of office space because, let's be honest, they don't work in our downtown right now. Uh, but the most of it is going to be livable, uh, rentable space. Uh, the smallest place will be 380 square feet, like in a little efficiency type apartment with a Murphy bed. And the larger ones will be 1,200 square feet. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, we believe so as well. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Um, you're, you're clearly, you know, from doing my research on you, you're clearly a glass half full person. 12 years ago, you returned to live here, I believe it was 12 years ago, and said, these are, these are your words, um, instead of bashing Shreveport, I saw some great opportunities and I put my skills to work here. These are my words. Uh, no city is perfect and every place, including Shreveport Bossier, has tremendous room for improvement. What do you attribute your optimism and positive outlook to? Or in other words, how do you see opportunity when so many people only see problems and despair? Okay. That's a multifaceted question. Um, I've always been a very optimistic individual. Um, a lot of people see a lot of these negative things. And for me, it's like, well... Um, what can we do about that? Like, well, did you see that the sun rose today? Did you see that the flower came out? Did you see that that, that person that was a little sick, now they're better today? Or all these little tiny things. Um, it's very easy to get focused in on negativity. And uh, it's like the law of attraction, right? If you're constantly bogged down with all these different negative things, that's where you're going to attract and that's where you're going to see. It's the glasses you put on. Uh, if you just make a commitment that no matter what, and some people have told me I'm delusional, 
if you make a commitment, then it's a law of attraction. People want to be a part of that. They want to be like, well, how's he doing that? I want to be a part of that. How can I make money with that individual? How can I uh, be associated with that, right? And so it's worked really well for us. Um, me and my partner, Shannon Intrigan, are very much very positive individuals. So I'm very much a fly by the seat of my pants type person. And she's like, let's sit down and analyze it for 90 days. I'm like, let's do it now. And she's like, well, we need to analyze it. <laughs> so we, we feed off of each other. And, uh, but neither one of us are like, oh, we shouldn't do that. You know, we shouldn't do that, shouldn't do that. Let's, let's figure out 10 different ways that it can work as opposed to focus on the 100 different ways it can go wrong. Love it. Um, what was the other part? What was the last part of your question? Yeah. So it was, you know, what do you attribute your optimism and positive outlook to? Or in other words, how do you see opportunity when so many people only see problems and despair? Okay. So that was one of the things when I was younger, when I was 18 years old, I started traveling and working construction. I grew up in a construction field here. My father fired me, right? And I went and worked in New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, Rhode Island, a lot of the East Coast, and did these really large, massive projects. And I was there, I didn't realize the amount of knowledge I was learning, and I started getting put in foreman positions and at a very young individual as well. And um, I came back, and after seeing all these cities, all their historical districts were so beautiful, right? People took pride in them, and people took, you know, they understood the opportunities that were there. So I've just learned that, you know, the uglier something is and the more nobody else wants to touch it, the cheaper I can get it. You know, if there's not a lot of people clamoring, it's not the new iPhone 14, so I don't gotta pay that high price, right? I'm looking at these houses that nobody else wants to buy. And uh, typically individuals are willing to sell them to me for what I want. Some people get mad, but uh, typically we're able to work out a deal and like I just did one on 601 Wilkinson. That's almost a 4,000 square foot house. I tried to buy that house for four years before the owner finally said yes. Um, I ended up picking up for $35,000. But the roof started to cave in and all these different things started to happen to it. Um, but it, it took a substantial amount of money to fix it, right? But you just have to see the opportunities where nobody else sees the opportunities and be willing to say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm just going to paddle a little bit faster than, than whatever's coming against me. And you're the, you're, you mentioned this a little bit, you're the founder and co-owner of Leeson, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, Leeson Real Estate Investment Firm. Leeson Real Estate Investment Firm. Talk to me about your company and some of the projects you have been and are currently involved with. So we've done close to 200 houses here in the shreveport Bossier area. Some were very light rehab, some were very extensive. Um, a lot of our projects were in lower income areas. Um, these are houses and neighborhoods that most people have given up on. And the reason, to be honest, the reason I started there is because I was able to start buying these houses for five to $15,000. And we're typically able to rewire them, put new plumbing in them, put the roofs on them, sheetrock paint, get them all up and ready, and then put tenants into them to start uh, renting them and creating cash flow in neighborhoods that necessarily weren't people weren't paying the taxes to the city they were getting blighted crime was taking over on it now we're putting tents that are happy one of the things that I learned was you know we're very community oriented individuals are whatever culture you grow up in so um, in these lower income areas that people that grew up in them 
just because they become a great tradesman, start making some money, or become a nurse, they don't want to necessarily live out, move out of their community. Their grandma still lives there, their cousins, and uh, they just want to live in the nicest house on the block. And so we started renting to those individuals that wanted to be proud of where they live, but not move out of their community. We also started doing a lot of rent-to-owns, allowing people to purchase a house that necessarily wouldn't be able to use the traditional banking method. Uh, through ownership, I really believe that Shreveport will make a turnaround, being able to own their own property. Right? You take a little bit more pride if you own it. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of been our main staple of how we started off. And then we started transitioning to more um, of our historical neighborhoods and started doing those types of houses. Started getting more and more credit. And then, of course, we bought the Rubenstein and we got a lot more uh, recognition. Awesome. And you seem to you seem to be the perfect person for the Rubenstein's project from from the 1940s to the mid 70s. Rubenstein's was one of the stars of department stores downtown. But for more than 35 years, these two historic buildings have sat empty. I read another quote of yours where you talk about your appreciation for history and the integrity of old buildings, and the quote was as follows. I just love the way they're built. I love the quality of material they're built out of, how they were built, and the history that's behind them. You look at them, and there's some man that probably put six months of his life into really making that building look phenomenal. I just like restoring them, or I just like restoring that. In my words, we, we live in a time where I feel like so many people just want to build new, forget the past, and add to the future. How do you explain your appreciation and reverence for history? Most people don't understand the process of building things and the quality of materials that it takes to build those things. Um, for example, I don't know if you're aware, like the new growth pine that we have is substantially less dense than the pine that used to be used in the day, back in the day. Like they grow it and they use these fertilizers and all these things to help it grow faster. Well, it, it produces the lumber much quicker, but the reeds are substantially much less. So bugs love it even more, it burns quicker in fires, all these different things. Also, these older buildings were built out of true two by fours and true two by sixes. If you measure a two by four now, you're you know two eighths shorter. You're like everything's smaller. It's uh, then you look at the just the quality and the craftsmanship of how people were able to build stuff. It really, really amazes me. Like there's individuals that call themselves tradesmen, and they're uh, they're decent but they definitely didn't grow up on anything a journeyman, right? They might have worked with somebody at one point in time, taught them a few things, they watched some YouTube videos, they go get their contractor's license, they, they study for the tests, and now they're, they're just willing to do the manual labor that nobody else wants to do, but in my mind, they're not true tradesmen. Like, I grew up laying brick. My father was a bricklayer. Um, by the time I was 10 years old, I was pushing a wheelbarrow. I was on the job site constantly. I remember wanting to learn to lay brick, and my father was a bit of an ass. Um, he was like, you, you haven't earned the right to be on this side of the scaffolding. You need to understand everything that happens on the backside before it. How to build the scaffold, the stock in the brick, how to survey what's going on, the cuts and the rebar and the windowsills, making the mud and negotiating all the different laborers that are getting everything. Like, 
And especially when you start doing high rises, like how that scaffolding works, how you tie off, like then you coordinate with the electricians, the plumbers, the, the foundation guys. Then you got the iron because you're tying it to the roof. You have to learn all that before you can actually do the trade itself. Um, and then I finally like became what they called the hod god because masonry, you had a tool that was called a hod. And that's what hod, like H-O-D or hod? H-O-D. Um, and it was a V-shaped tool. It's an old wooden tool. And you would carry brick in it or carry the mud, which is mortar, right? This is before my day, but they called it a hod. That was the name of the tool. This is before Skytrax and all that stuff. When you know, So they called me the hod guy because I, I could run the entire thing. And I was young, but my father was an ass. He, he didn't put up with nothing. Get up at 4.30 in the morning. This is what we do. You know, put your boots on and go, go earn your keep. And um, then I finally was like, okay. He's like, you could get on the other side of the wall and we're going to start your apprenticeship. And um, I could only joint walls. He wouldn't even let me lay brick. I spent several months just jointing other bricklayers' work and brushing it, learning how to do it properly, making sure there's no bee holes, not smearing it, like all that whole process, right? Then I apprenticed under other bricklayers that he had me. There's this old, old bricklayer, like 73 years old, still like brick. And he had me work with him. And all I could do was spread the mud, right? The bricklayer laid the brick and I spread the mud and I'd butter and hand him. And they, I'm watching him how he's marking off the poles and keeping the height and all the different things and how you're, there's a lot of math involved in it, right? You can't just go out there and lay the brick and expect to be level. So then I finally get to start laying some brick like one or two, like I finally get to lay one or two brick at the end of his the bricklayer's run. One day he asked me to go to build what's called a sample panel, and typically that's for the architects, so that they can test the quality of the mud, what type of brick it's going to be, uh, the tensile strength, all these types of things, right? So I think I'm doing something. I go out there with a the level, and I got my brick, my trowel, and I, I build this little sample wall, and it's probably like three to two foot tall. Took me all day long, really tiny little thing. But I'm thinking I did something. My father got the end of the day, comes back and looks at it and kicks it over as everybody else is walking. And I'm like, what the hell? So uh, he goes, it's not right. So I'll show up the next morning and he goes, build it again. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make sure it's plumb. And I'm sure it was all screwed up, right? But in my mind, I'm like, I, I did. Like, I should be. You should be proud of what I did. I build it again. It's 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 a little bit taller, a little bit more straighter, a little bit bigger. And the day he kicks it over, and I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, okay, third day. He tells me build it again. I build it. Like I'm like, you know, I'm I'm gonna, no. He's not gonna kick my shit this time. He gets there, and, and I. At the end of the day, he walks up, and I can tell he's about to kick it, and I, and I yell at him, like, pop off. This was when I was about 18. And uh, he goes, all right. And I'm like, okay, I finally stood up and get recognized, like, I did something right. That next morning, I show up, and there's a sledgehammer next to that wall. He said, if you don't correct your mistakes when they need to be corrected, they're even harder down the road. Now you got to take a sledgehammer and bust it up. That's what my apprenticeship was like. You learn how to do it the right way. Then you can learn how to do the other, all these little different techniques that help you speed it up. You learn how to do it the right way first. So moving out a little bit um, from uh, your immediate world, uh, let's talk about the community as a whole. Okay. As you look around this community, 
My first question is, what concerns you the most? I got a long list. Let's hear it. Um, I, uh, the interest rates concern me. I know that's not a community issue, but it definitely affects us here. Um, inflation um, concerns me uh, with the price of, I've got contractors that we use that want to charge anywhere between 165 to $200 an hour, electricians and plumbers. Uh, HVAC included in that in that category, um, and, and I understand the numbers as well because you've got the overhead, you've got the trucks on the ground, you got the tools, you got the insurances, you got the other insurances, you got the you know and tax. You know, it's all these different things that everything has climbed. Everything has increased and it continues to increase. Um, some materials have gone down in prices. Uh, we've started outsourcing to other states to try and bring stuff here that we can get it cheaper. Um, some of, several of us have gone together and started buying in bulk and storing it in our warehouses so that we can't get it cheaper than local distributors. Um, but we're, we're really trying to figure out how to make things work. Um, I would say four years ago I had a total of 12 individuals that worked in-house for me that only did my work. Um, we're down to like seven now for multiple issues, some because they weren't doing their job, but others because um, you have to understand your, num your numbers and your profit margins to be able to keep your doors open. Like, I'm not getting rich. I'm consistently sacrificing now so that tomorrow can be better. I live a very frugal life. I may take a nice trip once or twice a year, but you'd be very surprised at how little I pay myself. Um, I consistently believe that if I sacrifice long enough, that the day that I'm gone, my children and grandchildren will be set up for quite a while. And that's the goal for me. My, I got three daughters. My company's Leeson, so my, my company is my son. So hopefully the day that I'm gone, my son will take care of my daughters. And, and that was the, the drive behind it that I wanted to set this all up um, with as far as the investment side of it. Because I knew once I started construction projects, the second that I start that job, I'm working towards firing myself the work will end on that job. I'm going to have to go find another one, right? I'm constantly firing myself, right? And it's this machine that you have to constantly feed. Uh, and real estate is different. Owning the real estate and creating passive income with it and the tax off write-offs that come with that and the uh, different ways you can leverage against it and all these different creative things that uh, I've learned, that's why we I transition in towards uh, investing in real estate. And what, what else outside of like your immediate world concerns you about this community? Well, um, the, so a lot of my private investors, so I tell everybody I'm not a rich man. Uh, I've made my job to find out who is, and we've got a lot of local individuals that invest with us. Uh, and we got a lot of out-of-state investors that can't necessarily get the returns that we provide in their cities that they live in, so they invest here in the city. So I, I'm kind of proud about bringing outside money here to invest in our city. And then also, I pr really prefer to work with local investors because once the money leaves, because the project does get sold or the returns get paid out, um, then it will stay in our city as well here. There, 
I've got some that are still willing to invest right now, but there's a lot of them that are very scared. And they're like, Isaiah, I just am not confident in the economy. He goes, I love you and I love your system and structures. I'm not confident in the economy. He goes, if I was to do this project, I'd be betting on the jockey and not on the horse. He goes, I don't believe in the horse right now. The jockey, though, I believe in, which was me. Um, so we convinced the investor to do this big deal. It was a big eightplex that we just did completed. Um, that one's 101 years old that we just uh, restored. And we're very excited to get that up and running. But there's, there's people that are they're shrinking and the availability of money and the availability of people to want to keep things moving, which is gonna provide jobs and create taxes, those things are shriveling up and... Because of inflation, because of what's happening that's nationally with the economy. That's correct. Um, it's just they're, you know, they've taken a bath in the stock market, they've, you know, lost out on some other deals, people didn't manage properly or whatever the re- reason it is, right? It's, it's the safe thing to just sit back right now we're just going to play it out and see what happens, and eventually it'll turn around. But I don't want to be the first person to try it. That kind of that kind of motto, which is, I understand. Um, but greatness was never achieved by playing it safe. I mean, I I really feel I have become personally aware of my own mortality. Um, me being 43 now, and it feels like I got just this much left. If I'm lucky, I probably got, what, about 36 years and that's if I'm lucky. I want to see how much stuff I can do in 36 years. Like, let's see what we can do. This is a gift. That's why it's called, the you know, the present, right? Let's get up and see what we can do. Let's, let's, let's see, you know, like, we understand what the problem are. Well, let's figure out the solutions to them and focus on the solutions. What can we do? So I try not to focus on the outside individual things that happen going on, which I really have no control over. Um, I tell my staff members all the time, like I just said, we understand what the problem is. What's the solution for our, for our thing that we're trying to face right now? And it becomes contagious because they're like, well, uh, I found myself at my household. Like my, you know, my guy says his wife was uh, complaining. He goes, you got five minutes. Let's find a solution after that. <laughs> and uh, it, it, we've created a culture, right? We've created this family environment and we've created this I've had multiple people say that they've never worked for somebody that's like me because um, it's not necessarily, they're not a cog in the system. I see them as a person that can be developed and invested into and they're going to plant their own seeds in the community and we're going to continue to just try and do the best we can with what we have. And lastly, my, my final question for you is what makes you prideful of Shreveport Bossier? Mm. That's a weird word for me, pride. Um, I guess I would be honored to, to be a part of Shreveport for certain reasons. Uh, pride sets me up for failure, the way I look at it. Um, I'm honored to be a part of Shreveport because of the diverse cultures that are here. Um, I'm honored to be a part of um, a group of people that, that do want to uh, do something better as opposed to some that just want to li- move or some that just want to complain about the situation um, there are some I mean we're a foodie town chain restaurants don't do very well here at all but I guarantee we got 102 mom and pop Mexican restaurants that do really well here 
right? And uh, we, we support those types of ventures. You know, the, uh, it was very unfortunate what was at the El Compadre when the individual got shot over there. Boy, our community came together and supported it, and their business is thriving, right? And uh, I'm proud of that. You know, I'm proud that I can still walk outside and know my neighbor's names, right? And talk to them, and they play with their dogs, or, you know, hey, man, did you see that guy down there, or whatever? Like, we know who lives here. What You know, it's, it's not um, an overcrowded environment that I have worked in before. I can get anywhere I want in 15 minutes, you know? Um, it's still small-town living, but with the amenities of a large city. We've got our Whole Foods. You can go see the concerts. You can go, you know, all these different things you would want to do. They're at our fingertips without the large city expenses or headaches. Um, I think Shreveport's done really well at that. It's it's almost like they unintentionally kept it the best secret there is. Because <laughs> um, I've, I've worked in smaller towns and I'm like, whoa, what do I do here? The internet sucks, right? I've worked in really large cities and it's like, man, like if you don't plan two hours ahead of time, you're gonna get stuck in that traffic for two hours. I remember Philadelphia had uh, every car had a dent on the front and back of the bumper. <laughs> every car. And they were just like love bumps that everybody's used. You get stuck in this bumper to bump traffic and everybody eventually bumps somebody and instead of getting it fixed, they just kind of leave it. It's like the crack on your iPhone. It's like a status symbol. You know, you just kind of leave it on there. Uh, but I, I, I really am honored to be a part of Shreveport. Like, I'm grateful that I've given each day to be here and do what I gotta do to do my part, right? I don't, I don't believe I'm owed anything. I don't think that anybody, like, that I, um, like, I was taught, like I said, my father when I was young. It's my job to get up and go after what it is I wanna, go, wanna get uh, and do it in a honorable way, right? Uh, which takes a little bit longer than being a tyrant, but uh, I'll get there. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thank and, you. Um, I'm, I'm proud of what you're doing and was was really um, inspired reading your story and learning more about you. So keep it up. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Thank you.